Good morning, church. Sorry, good afternoon, church. We're three minutes into our afternoon. And someone says, take your time, and someone's going, may it be short, God, may it be short. (laughs) No, see, what happens is Dr. Bob trains you in August. So you're not used to getting out of church till about 1, 1 1.15, So when I get up, you're like, man, that was, that was a great sermon day. We were done and out of there by 12.30, right? Uh, God is good. And all the time? Well, today uh, um, I had some bouts with uh, whatever's going around this week, kind of up and down and up and down. And uh, I was out sick on Tuesday, and I thought I'd bounce back pretty good, and then it just hit me yesterday, kind of knocked me out again. So um, I don't know how much of this sermon is influenced by NyQuil, but um, I'll let you decide, and uh, hopefully it all makes sense. Uh, we will see how that goes. Or maybe we could pass around the NyQuil, and then it'll all make sense when you hear it. <laughs> uh, I'm screening thoughts in my head right now. Uh, um, Anyways, um, well, Thad and April, congratulations, Sterling. And I'm I'm sure when you decided to have kids, um, you thought, you know, to have little people of our own that we could create rules that they would live under our governance. And we would be able to enforce rules and they would have these wonderful rules and laws that they could live by. That will be a happy family. No? (laughs) That's what Lisa and I thought um, when we decided to have kids. You know, we waited a while because we wanted to work on the perfect rules. And we thought, you know, how great it's going to be to have kids someday that we have total power over. Are you laughing at me or with me? I'm not sure which, which you're doing. With me, thank you. But, you know, we thought, I mean, that's like the American dream, isn't it? To be able to come up with, like, an ultimate system of rules that, like, kids will have to live by. Isn't that what the ultimate relationship is between a parent and a child? Is the rules and the laws? No? I'm glad you feel that way. Um, because, first of all, you realize... It ain't going to work anyways, right? <laughs> no, but it does. Actually, our kids obey our rules perfectly. Um, thank you, guys. <laughs> um, now you're not going to believe anything else I say the rest of the sermon. Um, but that's not why those, those who have children, that's not why we have children, is it? We decide to have kids because of love. And because, and then we realized when we have kids, we didn't realize we could love that much. And, you know, I heard it said once, I don't know who said it, but they said, when you have kids, basically what happens is your heart begins to live and walk around outside your body. And, and you, you just don't, I mean, you, then you begin to realize too, wow, if I feel this way about my kids, how does God feel about his kids? Right? Isn't it great that when God created humanity, when he created you, and now I want you just to stop and think for a minute that I don't believe God just created in mass, but the scripture says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he knew you before you even came out of the womb, 
And so everyone here, everyone on the face of this earth is a masterpiece from God. And he is so in love with every single one of us. And he created you and I, not because the Trinity got together one day and said, you know, let's come up with this great system of rules. Won't it be great just to see them live under all these rules? They created us because they wanted to know us and to love us and to have a relationship with us. And it's a hard thing. It's a, it's a sad thing sometimes. And, and as a parent, I can speak to this as well, that you know, sometimes we lose sight of the forest for the trees. And sometimes, I'm sure uh, some of you parents here who have older kids as well, and you can think about the younger years, and sometimes, you know, you, you might go back, as, as I've thought about, because our kids are really old now, you know, uh, in high school. And sometimes you can go back when they were little and go, you know, I think I emphasized the rules too much at that time. And it should have been more relationship. And as I talk to fathers from time to time, sometimes there's regret and remorse that maybe I emphasized the rules so much that the relationship got broken. And that's not what God created us for. Yes, God has amazing rules and laws that are wonderful for his creation. But he created us for relationship. If we emphasize rules and laws more than relationship, that will go on from generation to generation to generation. Not just in our biological families, but in our church families. It breaks my heart to meet people who have left our denomination, who have left God, because they said it's got to be more than about rules. What was their experience? Their experience was that it was all about the rules. And they themselves or someone else got treated in harsh ways, in very unkind and unloving ways because it was about the rules. And those rules were used also to, to abuse people, and to have power and to discriminate. It breaks my heart when I read papers from students who say, I used to be Adventist, but then I realized it was all about the rules. Is that their fault, church? Is that their fault? Sure, they all have ownership in it, but we have a responsibility as a church too as God's people in relationship with God. There's an old saying I heard for teachers. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. And there's some truth to that. I wouldn't say it's 100% accurate in my opinion, because some of us here this morning could also be maybe beating ourselves up as parents, and I don't want you to do that. There is no perfect parent except for God, amen? And uh, there are times Lisa and I do things and we'll tell our kids, oh, we're really sorry for that one. You're gonna be in therapy for that one for a while, all right? <laughs> but you're paying for it, <laughs> right? 
But may I just, and this is not really part of the sermon, but I just want to put it out there. May I just remind you that God is the perfect parent. Even his first two children decided not to live under his reign. And he did absolutely nothing wrong. We have freedom of choice. And our children have freedom of choice. But today, I want to dwell for a moment in a verse from Galatians. Chapter 2, verse 20. Where Paul says these words. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. And then there's my favorite word, but Christ lives in me. I want, us, I want us to do a little discipline here this morning. I want us to say that out loud together. I just want to say the phrase, but Christ lives in me. Let's say that together. Christ lives in me. Say it again. Christ lives in me. Now, like my wife tells me, mean it from your heart, okay? <laughs> Christ lives in me. That's you you're talking about. Christ lives in you. This is part of the beauty of the gospel that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection and through the amazing presence of the Holy Spirit, now lives within you. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The question is that I think we face on a daily basis is how do I stop living so that Christ might live in me? How do I be crucified with Christ so that I no longer live, but, but Christ lives in me? There's only one word I know. And it sounds very simple because it's one word, but it's actually very challenging at times. One word, and it's the word surrender. Surrender. Just one word. Surrender. 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 Surrender to the loving leadership and reign of Jesus Christ and stop thinking that I actually can control my destiny and like I'm immortal. Every day, every moment is a gift from God and it's not under my control. What else, what greater opportunity do I have than to surrender my life into the hands of God? Jesus says, if you want to live, you have to what? Die. If you want to find yourself, you have to lose yourself. You have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me, and die to self. Paul said, I die daily. I like the, the words of Anne Lamott in her book, Grace Eventually, when she said, God can't clean the house of you when you're still in it. <laughs> Keep hanging on to self, and yet the greatest thing we can do is let it die. Let it die. We let it die by surrendering to Jesus. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, on certain days when my burden's feeling really heavy, 
It's mostly because I'm too full of myself. I'm taking myself way too seriously, which means I expect others to take me too seriously. And so I need to surrender and say, God, you are God, not me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, to deny oneself is to be aware only of Christ and no more of self. To see only him who goes before and no more the road which is too hard for us. Once more, all that self-denial can say is, he leads us the way. Keep close to him. He leads the way. Keep close to him. Lisa and I had the, uh, the privilege and the joy of being with the uh, junior high Sabbath school class um, during the month of August for a couple of Sabbaths. And uh, Stephanie Church, our junior high leader, asked if we would come in and, and talk about the, the, the Sabbath school lessons were about guy and girl relationships. And I thought, oh, I'm 50 now. I'm sure they'll love that. <laughs> and, uh, but we came in and we, we went in and had fun with the junior hires, a lot of laughs. Uh, I don't know if they were laughing with us or at us, but we were having a lot of laughs and um, talking about, you know, if this situation happens and how do you ha- communicate? You know, I mean, that was one thing. That took a whole lesson to talk to guys about how to have a communication with women. I mean, that was a lesson in itself. I told them it's really not possible. You just have to kind of, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Lisa, I told them I'm just kidding. They're not taking me seriously. I'm just letting you know. Um, see, that was communication right there. Just but uh, we talked about, you know, knowing where you stand before situations happen and so forth. And, but really the whole premise that I was trying to tell them, and I, and I told them this, I said, you know, we can learn how to say no. That's important to be able to know how to say no. But here's how I look at it. If I will say yes to Jesus every day, then he's going to lead me in my dating relationships. If I say yes to Jesus and trust him and I spend time in his word and I spend time with people who know him, then when I am with people, I am saying yes to Jesus and not saying yes to this guy or girl about certain things. You see, the the trick is in constantly saying yes to Jesus, not to saying no to everything. Because one, you get empty and the other one, you get filled. See the difference? And that's what Jesus wants is for us to just keep saying yes to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's where it happens. And then the more we say yes to Jesus, before we know it, there's less of us and more of him. It's a beautiful thing. And the load is lighter. The yoke is light because now it's his yoke and not ours. I want to share with you a, a, a true story. Some of you may remember this movie. In 1927, the director Cecil B. DeMille cast British-born actor H.B. Warner as Jesus in his famous silent film, King of Kings. Warner, who 19 years later played the druggist in It's a Wonderful Life, was kept on a short leash during the filming of King of Kings. Cecil B. DeMille was concerned that any behavior by the lead actor deemed inconsistent with the image of Christ would result in negative publicity for the film. As a result, DeMille enforced strict measures to ensure that Warner kept up a good Jesus image, or what DeMille thought would be a good representation of Jesus. 
Both Warner and his co-star Dorothy Cumming, who played Mary, the mother of Jesus, had to sign agreements that barred them for five years from appearing in film roles that might compromise their holy screen images. During the filming, Warner was driven to the set with blinds drawn, and he wore a black veil as he was delivered to the set. And DeMille separated Warner from the other cast members, even forcing him to eat alone every day. Warner couldn't go to ball games, ride in a convertible, or go swimming, or anything like that. Unfortunately, the regimen of rules and regulations didn't make Warner more holy. Instead, all of the pressure to be more Christ-like without having the power or forgiveness of Jesus seemed to drive Warner over the edge. And during the production of King of Kings, rather than act more like Jesus, Warner merely relapsed into his addiction to alcohol. Rules were important. But let's face it. We can look really good. We can look really good. Sometimes I think we might just be happy if, if everybody just looked well and behaved well, then everybody must be well. But that's not the case, is it? I remember, I remember, Mom, you were telling me this story. I think it was about your mother, my grandma, Bennett, and uh, how she was being punished because she had done something wrong. And so she was forced to sit in a corner on a stool. And she said to her mom or dad, I forget who it was, says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> right? <laughs> I may be behaving the way you want, but my heart isn't what you want. And Jesus wants our hearts. And when he has our hearts, our actions follow. This is what he jumped all over the Pharisees about. This is what he wanted from his disciples. Can I remind you of Ephesians 2? And we're just going to kind of marinate in this a little bit for, for a couple minutes. In Ephesians chapter 2, we'll have it up on the screen. Remember the grace of God. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now let me just stop there for a second because we can immediately think, well, this is maybe you know, out in the world, but, but church, we know this happens inside the church too. Because gratifying the cravings of the flesh doesn't mean just things like sexual immorality and those types of things. It means egos and power and control hungry. Feeding the flesh. And so Jesus also finds us in the church. Let's remember when, when Jesus is knocking on the door in Revelation 3.20, whose door is he knocking on? The church. He's knocking on the church's door saying, let me in. I want to come break bread with you. And so we go on. There's my favorite word again, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
See, that's what I love about the church. There isn't one person in here, including the preacher, who can do any boasting. Everything we have that deals with eternal value is completely a gift from God. I wanna, before we go to verse 10, I want to go to Colossians. This is, Colossians 3 is a chapter I love to marinate in, and I highly recommend it. I encourage you to, I invite you to memorize Colossians 3, 1 through 17 and just marinate it for the rest of your life along with other passages, but this is one of my favorites. And we're not going to do 17 verses, so don't worry. But the first three verses, I love what it says, right? Let's go to Colossians 3, 1 through 3, in which it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your what? Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, sorry, that's verse four. (laughs) So you have to go read that this afternoon. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your hearts on things above. See, when when we set our hearts on Christ and we continue to say yes to Christ and we surrender to Christ, we are crucified with him and we no longer live, but then Christ lives in us. And when that happens... Verse 10 of chapter 2 in Ephesians begins to happen, which says, for we are God's handiwork, or the Greek brings it out, we are God's masterpieces, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ is not about behavioral modification. It's about whole life transformation. It's about our whole heart and our minds and our attitudes being changed so that Christ lives within us and we extend that love and kindness and compassion, the richness of God's very own life. I want to share with you, it's not up on the screen because it's too much. I didn't want to give Lauren that much to put in. So Lauren, just rest for a minute. But I want to share with you from um, Desire of Ages. Uh, I want to share with you, also, this, this won't cost you anything extra today, but um, I, w- I was, I was you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. I was working out a couple weeks ago, and uh, someone at the place where I work out somehow knew I was an Adventist pastor. And uh, so they came up to me, and they said, hey, hey, do you guys still believe in that woman prophet? <laughs> and I said, I mean, I'm like, I'm like uh, yeah, yes, we do, yes. Yes, we do, you know? And so they were asking some questions and I was kind of answering some of those questions and, and, uh, and she goes, you know, yeah, I just, I just think it's amazing you guys have a prophet and she's a woman. And I said, I know, right? Isn't that really like strange, right? And uh, so then I said, hey, it was during camp meeting month. And I said, hey, by the way, and I see Ted, Ted back there. I go, I go we're, we have an expert coming in a couple weeks on Ellen White. I go, if you can make it, you would really, really, I think you'd really like it, you know? She's like, yeah, I'll see, you know? And I didn't want to push too much. So then the next week, it's like Wednesday before, before Ted's coming. And, and, and let me just tell you, if you weren't here when Ted Levtrov, one of our church family members, spoke about what Ellen White had to say about the second coming, you need to go on our website and listen to that because it was awesome and it was great. And uh, so... So she came. Well, well, this was the deal. She says, oh, hey, is, he, is that guy still coming? You know, and I said, yeah, 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 he's coming, you know, and this, this, this week. And, and then she went, well, 
it's, is it in the morning? And I said, yeah. And, and she said, well, I don't know if I can come because I got, you know, I'm doing this thing with, at CrossFit and it goes until noon. And I said, hey, good news, it's camp meeting. Our speaker won't get up till 1220, right? <laughs> so, so she goes, well, I'm gonna try to make it, right? So she came, right? She came here and she got right as Ted was getting up to speak. She was like, she was like here. I said, come, I'm saving a place for you with my family because it'll be crowded. We'll make sure you have a seat. She came, sat next to Lisa and uh, she loved it right? And then uh, Ted was nice enough. I was able to get his PowerPoint stuff and send it on to her. And she just, I loved that, the letter that Ellen White wrote to her sister and, you know, and so on and so on. And so anyways, that, like I said, that didn't cost you extra, but, but isn't it just neat how the spirit works, you know, in different ways. And, and, you know, I, I want to tell you something and I'm sorry, I'm keeping you later. Um, the, the NyQuil is kicking in at this point. Or no, I'm starting to feel energy. That's the problem. I'm going to go. Um, you know, when I felt called to go into pastoral ministry and I shared it with my pastor when I was, a, when I was about 19 or so, and I remember he didn't seem as excited as I, as I thought he would be. <laughs> now, there may be more than one reason for that, uh, but he said, oh, I got to call the general conference now, right? Um, but he said, I'm excited, but he says, John, God will always, God will always have pastors, but we need as many people in the trenches and we can to share the gospel. And let me just tell you, when Jesus said, go make disciples, the Greek says, in your going, make disciples. And so isn't it great that you can just be working out, sweaty and stinky as all get out, and there's opportunity. There's opportunity everywhere we go and everything we do. In fact, I'm going to just kind of share a little, I've gotten way off the sermon, but <laughs> it must be the spirit. I'm just claiming the spirit on this one. Did you know that when it comes to the statistics show that when people come into the church, the majority come in and stay in if they are family or friend relationships. And the most percentages that don't stay are through traditional means that we've often used. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I'm saying the retention rate is not as high as personal relationship. Now, that wasn't in my sermon. I wasn't planning on saying any of that. So do with it as the Holy Spirit will do with it, okay? I want to share these words from Ellen White. All that said, I was getting to Ellen White in Desire of Ages. So I love these words of her on page 390. As our physical life is sustained by food, so our spiritual life is sustained by the word of God. And every soul is to receive life from God's word for himself. As we must eat for ourselves in order to receive nourishment, so we must receive the word uh, for ourselves. We are not to obtain it merely through the medium of another's mind. We should carefully study the Bible, asking God for the aid of the Holy Spirit that we may understand his word. We should take one verse and concentrate the mind on the task of ascertaining the thought which God has put in that verse for us. We should dwell upon the thought until it becomes our own and we know what saith the Lord. Did you hear the marinating there? That one verse. Did you know that there's criticism out there today? It's like, if they're talking about like, oh, if you just focus on one verse, then you're getting into mysticism. If we don't concentrate on one verse, but we keep consuming many verses and never become obedient, then there's a problem. But in the one verse, marinating and God transforms, listen to what she says. We should take one verse and concentrate the mind on the task of ascertaining the thought which God has put in that verse for us. We should dwell upon the thought until it becomes our own Christ lives in us. I'm putting that in right there. And we know what saith the Lord. 
In his promises and warnings, Jesus means me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that I believe by believing in him might not perish but have everlasting life. The experiences related in God's word are to be my experiences. Prayer and promise, precept and warning are mine. And then she quotes the passage that I share with you today. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As faith thus receives and assimilates the principles of truth, they become a part of the being and the motive power of the life. The word of God received into the soul molds the thoughts and enters into the development of the character. By looking constantly to Jesus with the eye of faith, we shall be strengthened. God will make the most precious revelations to his hungry and thirsting people. They will find that Christ is a personal savior. As they feed upon his word, they find that it is spirit and life. The word destroys the natural earthly nature and imparts a new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to the soul as a comforter by the transforming agency of his grace. The image of God is reproduced in the disciple and he becomes a new creature. Love takes the place of hatred and the heart receives the divine similitude. Wow. For I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, as we die and Christ lives in us, then that means our relationships with others also become transformed. Because if Christ lives in me, that means he is living through me. Which means that as I stand toe to toe with coworkers, as I stand toe to toe with my children, or with my spouse, or with students, or with teachers, or peers, or the person across the cash register. How is Christ treating them? And how is Christ loving them? Is he going to throw down a bunch of rules and laws? Or is he going to love them? Is going to have compassion and kindness and gentleness and self-control and patience and humility and sacrificial love? Let's pray. Jesus, you know we all need help. That's why you came. And we all have a lot of growing to do. And I thank you, Lord, for the growing that has happened in our lives. I thank you that you have never left us where you found us. But Lord, we want to keep growing in that sanctification and in that transformation. We will still make mistakes, but may there be less of them, Lord, because we're letting you reign in us. And I'm not talking about mistakes, Jesus, where we're trying to get you to like us. 
we can never get you to like us. You already love us. Lord, I'm talking about, at least in my own life, less mistakes of, of how I treat people when I don't extend love or kindness or compassion. Because the rules don't mean anything if there isn't any love and compassion, forgiveness and reconciliation. Yet at the same time, Jesus, I thank you for the rules because once we know your heart, they are life. But I know that if we focus on you, it's a natural thing. So Jesus, all we can do is surrender. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts and our lives as it is in heaven. Would you take a moment in silent prayer now just to, just to be with Jesus and to surrender? Surrender.